This week's episode of the Velo News Podcast, sponsored by Whoop. Whoop is a fitness wearable that provides personalized insights on your performance of your sleep how recovered your body is, and how much stress and exertion you put on your body throughout the day. Every day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based off of your sleep, resting heart rate, and heart rate variability that can be used as an indicator for how to approach your day. Is it going to be a big day? Is it going to be a chill day? The app has built-in features like Strain Coach, which gives you targeted exertion goals to work out optimally at your body's recovery level. Whoop automatically detects and categorizes your activity, so there's no need to start and stop your workout. You can analyze your heart rate throughout the entirety of your workout and also track your calories burned, max heart rate, average heart rate. It's the perfect way to train. The app also has a built-in sleep coach, which lets you know how much sleep you should be getting based on your expected activity level for the following day. So you can wake up and be recovered based on your performance goals. You may have read or listened to some of our podcasts with Kate Courtney talking about how Whoop has helped her with her performance goals. Basically, it tracks your sleep, your heart rate, all these other factors, wraps it all together and tells you if you can have a big day, if your body's recovered and you're ready to take on you know, some five-hour monster ride, or if you need to chill. Some days, hey, the motivation is there, but your body actually needs an extra day of rest, and Whoop is the tool that can tell you that. Okay, right now we have a great deal for listeners of the podcast. If you use the code VELONEWS, all caps, VELONEWS, at checkout, go to whoop.com, W-H-O-O-P. Again, code VELONEWS at checkout. You get 15% off. So you can sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter. Thanks so much to Whoop for sponsoring the podcast. All right, let's get on with the show. Welcome back to the Velonews Podcast. Fred Dreyer coming to you from a particularly busy Tuesday afternoon here at the World Headquarters in Boulder, Colorado. Although there's no bike racing going on, it seems like bike racing news and bike racing media never sleeps. Right now, we are in final production for our annual Tour de France guide, um, the guide to help you follow along with the tour. That's hitting newsstands in early August, and we're putting together so much good information and cool feature stories, stuff about the history of the tour, a real interesting deep dive at the tour in the post-war era. I think you guys are really going to like this. But as we're putting this together, just the news stories keep coming in. Um, Lifetime has announced that Dirty Kanza is canceled for 2020. That's the big news for the day. Um, the race had been postponed. Originally, it was slated to go in May, but of course, due to the pandemic, like everyone else, they pushed back. I believe the date was supposed to be in October, but they've decided that uh, they are canceling it. Curiously, the press release, they are not referring to the race as Dirty Kansas, but rather DK200. This, of course, coming after the race announced it was going to uh, undergo a name change. Um, so DK 200 is officially canceled. This is a bookend for, I guess I would call a pretty turbulent period for the world's marquee gravel race and uh, DK 200 dirty Kansas, call it what you will is the focus of today's podcast. I sit down with Ben Delaney and Betsy Welch to talk all about the race and the turbulent few months uh, it's had this year started back in the spring when they had to postpone the event due to coronavirus. Then in April, there was a petition circulated asking the race to rename the race, switch away from Dirty Kanza, um, arguing that 
the race itself was a slur against the Ka Nation, which are the indigenous people who live in the region, who um, the race takes some of its namesake from. Uh, then in June, the race's co-founder, Jim Cummins, um, left Lifetime after he posted some insensitive comments about the shooting death of Rayshard Brooks um, on his Facebook page. He apparently, apparently him and the organization agreed to mutually part ways. I think in the discussion you're about to hear, I erroneously said at first that he was fired. I guess there was a mutual parting of ways, but Jim Cummins um, left Dirty Kanza. And immediately after he left, the race said that it was going to pursue a name change. And that's where we pick up the story. But the, the news today is a, um, a big chapter in that story. So Dirty Kansas DK200 is off. Um, hey, before we get to this discussion, quick shout out to everyone who has reached out to me in the last few weeks about Active Pass, our new membership program that I am so psyched about. Um, a lot of you have reached out with questions about it. Um, a lot of you have signed up already. Thanks for doing that. But again, Active Pass, $99 annual fee that gets you access to daily exclusive content on velonews.com. Um, Subscription to VeloNews.com, two Velo Press books, access to the Elephant Rock Grand Fondo, and a year subscription to Today's Plan Coaching, which I cannot um, speak highly enough about that. If you are a competitive cyclist, someone who's trying to stay fit, someone who's just trying to, like, I don't know, go out and win some Strava KOMs or punish your buddies who you ride regularly with on the group ride. Um, and you've, you've always wanted to try out coaching, I feel like this is a great opportunity to do that. Today's plan is a really cool coaching pro- program, uh, 150 bucks annually, or you can get it for 99 bucks along with all this other good stuff as part of the Active Pass membership. And again, this is, you know, we're trying to fuel everyone's stoke for cycling. I think you can look around at the landscape of cycling right now and see a lot of positive things. Sales of bicycles are off the charts. We had a column on Vela News the other day all about how uh, bike sales are booming. Some of these shops can't keep bikes on the shelf at all. And so there's a lot of people that are joining the cycling space. And, you know, people are getting psyched up on the sport we love. And I feel like Active Pass represents an opportunity for us to get re-psyched on the sport that we love. Even if there aren't events going on right now, uh, we can still train, we can still push ourselves, read about cycling, um, indulge in cycling. So, hey, if you have any questions about Active Pass, web letters at velonews.com, I am reading those emails. Okay, um, let's get on to my discussion about Dirty Kanza, well, DK200, call it what you will, with Ben Delaney and Betsy Welch. The Dirty Kanza... Gravel Cycling's marquee event finds itself in a challenging situation right now. The race has recently announced that it is going to undergo a name change. It has not set a deadline for when it is going to uh, come up with a new name. But this news comes after a very challenging couple of months for the race that all started way back in March uh, when the coronavirus led to the race's uh, postponement, like all other races out there. Then in April 20th, there was a news story that uh, went around that a online um, petition had been started by the group Cyclista Zine asking the race to change its name, arguing that Dirty Kanza represented a slur against the Ka Nation, which is the indigenous group that lives in the region. Um, then in June, Dirty Kansas co-founder 
Jim Cummins was fired by the race owner, Lifetime Fitness, after he made some comments on his Facebook page um, that were very insensitive, and it was about a high-profile killing of an African-American man by the police, and um, Lifetime parted ways with him. And a couple days later, that's when the news came out that uh, Dirty Kanza was going to indeed change its name. These are all specific news events that have added up to just a strange time for the race, the race that... Um, all of us really like, we've been to, we've participated in, reported on it. And so today we're going to talk about what the last few months and these news stories mean to the race um, and then the conversation around the name change. So joining me today, I have Ben Delaney and Betsy Welch, both of whom have done a ton of reporting on Dirty Kansas over the years, both of whom have participated in the race. And uh, Betsy's done a lot of great reporting on the site recently around everything from the name change to the impact of COVID on Dirty Kanza and what the future holds. So Ben and Betsy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. You're welcome. Good. <laughs> Betsy, you're joining us from Crested Butte, Colorado, where I was for a couple of weeks. First of all, before we get into this Dirty Kanza talk, what have been the highlights from your riding experience up there? Oh, that's pretty easy. I did a really cool thing a couple of days ago, a little bike Bikepacking slash hiking a 14er slash bikepacking in just some incredibly beautiful, staggering terrain. Um, and I'm currently hobbling around, not from the biking, but from the hiking. <laughs> Turns out that biking muscles aren't the same as the ones you need to descend a 14er. So um, I guess it's time to, to pack up and come home to the, the front range. <laughs> Uh, and Ben, you are, you are no doubt moving slow from some 4th of uh, July um, backyard projects of what, hauling around bricks and rocks and laying sod. And what did uh, the family have you doing this weekend? Oh, yeah, there's there's plenty of that uh, the, on the honey-do list. But uh, I've been getting out on, on some bike adventures. You know, Betsy's cooked up this idea of Project 14-er, you know, ascending 14,000 feet on a bike in one go. So we've been riffing on various ways to do that and uh gravel of course would be probably the the uh the most fun way to, to go about this so i've been cooking up a few of those so guys let's get into it the last time we all hooked up for podcast it was controversy was in the air and that was after the mid-south gravel race occurred um in the opening days of the covid19 pandemic and there was lots of uh, discussion and uh some hard hangry feelings about the race's decision to go forward now we see um online discourse and we see a lot of passion and a lot of feelings around dirty kanza and what's gone on in the last few months so before we get to the name change just kind of a jump ball for you you know when when you first heard the name dirty kanza i don't know where when it was where you were but when you first heard someone say that or read about it like what did the name mean to you as a person unfamiliar with the race the history the carnation anything like that what did dirty kanza mean well i don't remember when i heard about it um it probably was pretty recently but i can tell you as somebody who um little known fact about me i was born and raised in kansas um i lived there until i was 13 so um when i did hear the name um that that word Kansas was quite familiar to me because it's a really common place name um, all throughout Kansas. And I remember in elementary school learning about the Kaw people who were often called Kanza. Um, so to me, it was just like a really, uh, the name of the race was a cool place name. Um, the dirty part never meant anything other than I knew it was a, a gravel race and I'm a mountain biker and dirty gets attached to a lot of 
um, off-road cycling things. So, um, yeah, as a, I guess as a Kansas girl, it, it was just another way of, of saying, you know, bike race in Kansas. Yeah. For me as a New Mexico kid being ignorant, uh, I had thought of it as a, the dirty part referring to, Oh, it's going to be on dirt roads. That's a pretty standard moniker for, for either races or even courses like here in Colorado. We've got the, the dirty, dirty Morgul Bismarck or dirty Carter, these different routes that you use dirt roads. Okay, fine. And the Kansas part, I wasn't sure how to pronounce it, but I just assumed in like the half second of thought that I gave it, it was a, a place name of some sort. And that was about all I thought of it. Um, what's been fascinating to me is just this transition from ignorance, frankly, to understanding. And it's been a slow burn, uh, I think individually. And then also just sort of like as a community of the, you know, some of the first times you hear alternate meetings or the actual meeting in this case. Uh, and I think the, the first reaction many of us have is uh, one of dismissiveness, like not out of malice, uh, but maybe out of, uh, I don't I don't know why, but I think the, the, the first reaction is to be like, well, no, that's not, that's not what it should mean. Like, it's not a bad thing, but I think the more we, as a little community have spent reflecting on it, the more it becomes apparent that uh, change is necessary. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Like I didn't even, um, I didn't like, I didn't even know it was Kansas. I thought someone, the person who was telling me about it had just swallowed the end of Kansas. So it was like dirty Kansas. Yeah. The bike race. Right. You know, you ride right. so maybe how they say it? Like, you know, Fred, yeah. you know, when we would cover the tour of Missouri, you know, the, the joke was, it's called the tour of Missouri. And yeah. my grandparents are from Springfield, Missouri, and they don't say Missouri. It's Missouri. So it's like, Oh, that's how they throw. Okay. <laughs> totally. So I'm like, okay, the dirty Kansas, it's this race. They race on dirt roads. That makes sense. It's logical. Dirty plus Kansas equals dirty Kansas. Oh no, Kansas, whatever. Same sort of thing. Dirty Kansas. I think that like, Ben, you hit the nail on the head, which is like for us, the uninformed people, um, you know, we give a very benign um, meaning to something the first time we learn about it. And Betsy's different because she was familiar with the, you know, the Kanza and the Khan Nation and these people. But like from the outsider coming in, okay, Dirty Kansas, whatever, that's just a very logical name. So that when someone does push back on it, Ben, you're totally right. Like the knee-jerk reaction for the uninformed person who doesn't actually have meaning or emotion or whatever attached to a name like Kanza is to be like, no, 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 you're wrong. You see, dirty, uh, it doesn't mean dirty uh, Khan Nation person. It means dirty as in dirt roads because I don't know what the hell I'm talking about and I don't know uh, the significance of the word. Um, Kanza. I mean, I'm really curious for both of you uh, following this story and following um, specifically, we'll start with a name change, you know, how things are feel differently now versus they do back in April when the petition was started by Cyclistazine um, asking the race to change its name. You know, Betsy, you were very much following the story and talking to a lot of people. How have you seen sentiments around the name change shift since then? And how have your own sentiments around the name change shifted? Have they? Well, I guess, you know, it's, it's kind of amazing how 2020 has shown us that, um, things can change on a huge scale. I mean, a global scale in a period of, you know, hours with the coronavirus, with what's been happening in this country, um, you know, with continued 
instances of police brutality and how now racial injustice has sort of risen to the fore um, of our collective consciousness here. And I mean, April was what, I don't know, two months ago. And I would say we're living in a totally different country. Um, we're living in this, this different landscape. The conversations are different. Um, I think we probably all three of us have experienced just with our friends and families, like talking about issues we have never talked about before. Um, a lot, a lot around race and inequality in this country. Um, and so the cycling world has in no way been immune to that. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to even think back to April when the initial petition came out around the name change, um, <laughs> to be honest, because of everything that's happened here. But I guess whew, if I can think back, um, you know, it was sort of it again, uh, it, social media has also been a really, um, I guess, important part of this conversation about the Dirty Kansas name change, because so much of the quote conversation has been happening and unfolding on social media. And that's where it really sort of launched into the scene in April. Um, I mean, I, I guess I personally, I just remember sort of like, whoa, whoa just whoa, um, surprised, shocked. Um, however, you, you know, you, you read into it, you read why, why people were calling for the name change. And, and, you know, I suppose that it may, it did make sense. Although, um, as Ben mentioned, um, as a supporter of the event or someone who's done the event, you, f you think the intention is pure behind the mm -hmm. name. You never mm -hmm. assume that there is, you know, something malicious behind it, but it's sort of, I don't know. It's, it's, it, it's confusing. It's hard to reckon with. And, for me, what was really difficult is that it was like unfolding on social media and there weren't enough, I guess, microphones for people to talk about it and have conversation. Then there were no gravel races to actually happen where a lot of these people may have been meeting in person and, and conversations could have been unfolding. So that also was upsetting to me because I think overall what I've learned from the gravel community is there's a really strong like self-preservation sense to it. Um, people are protective of gravel and, and it's different and let's, let's, let's have it continue to be different. Um, in fact, earlier in the year, I reported on how people were afraid that USA cycling was going to ruin gravel. And, and, and now it's like, oh no, gravel could, is, is something happening from within. So, um, it was tough, but you know, I don't know if we'll talk about this later in the podcast, but it seemed to be resolved fairly quickly between, um, sort of the people with the petition and then the race organizers and also the con nation. Uh, and then the fact that the name change has come up again, two months later when we're in a totally different sort of socio-political climate and people are having these conversations and starting to sort of go, okay, you know what? We've got to listen harder. We've got to listen better. And we've got to be more open to change, even if we think that people's intentions may be, were benign. Yeah, I think it, it's the, the, the overlap of intention. I think it's been fascinating. We're all word people, right? Like <laughs> we are fascinated by words, but even as word people, I think it's funny to, or maybe not funny, but it's interesting to see how sometimes we read deeply into words or symbols, and sometimes we don't, or we just read into or see into what we want to. Um, yeah, I mean, I bet you had a great piece talking with Bobby Wintle about his transition from calling his race, which is now the Mid-South. It was originally the Land Run 100, right? Mm -hmm. 
And for Bobby, there was no malice in that original naming. Uh, it was very much a, a play-centric thing. And I think for both Bobby and then also for some of his race participants, when that was originally brought up, the reflex was defensiveness. Well, that's that's not how I see it. That's not what I feel about it. That's not what I think about it. It just means a cool gravel race in Oklahoma. That's what it is. Um, and it and it took a a bit of a cascade of that that message being reinforced. Like, no, actually, Land Run was about white colonists, settlers coming, bulldozing indigenous people out of this area. And that's what it means, uh, whether whether you recognize that or not. And it, it took a while for both uh, Bobby and participants uh, to come to terms with that. And I thought you, know, you and I are first project 14er rode Mount Evans and you, Betsy pointed out. Uh, so Evans wasn't the greatest guy it was, you know, the, the territorial governor of Colorado before it was a state was largely responsible for the Sand Creek massacre, you know, slaughtering of many indigenous people here. And to me, again, playing the role of ignorant guy, I was like, Oh, I just thought Mount Evans was a big mountain. <laughs> I, really th I never thought of it one way or the other. I just thought that was what it's called. Like, Orange is called orange and chocolate's called chocolate. And, you know, I never th thought about the name, but like once, once that's revealed to you and you think about it, you're like, well, maybe we as a culture should, should rethink this. Um, and, you know, now in Colorado, that's, that is one of the many names being reviewed. And that's where we are as a culture, whether it's the you know, NFL looking at the Washington Redskins and overhauling that or, or other names. I think it's a, it's a good, it's a hard, but a good place for us to be. No, and the journey that we all have to go through it. I mean, it's a very individual journey, but uh, you know, it, it obviously is a good one. And this period in history is one that I feel like a lot of people are undergoing. I mean, I, I'm like you too. It's sort of when the original name change story came out and Cyclista Zine had the petition, I think my initial sentiment was curiosity. Oh, wow. Look at that. I didn't realize that. And then my feelings were completely put at ease by the statement um, that was put out by Lynn Williams, the chairwoman of the Con Nation, basically saying like, hey, you know what? We've actually worked with a race. It's fine. Like, we are the Con Nation. We are, we are closer to this than Cyclista Zine is, and we feel okay with it. So um, we can let the name stand. And for, for me, that was enough. It was like, uh, okay, mm -hmm. that's fine, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and what changed in my mind, yeah, was just the national conversation about like, well – Maybe that's not good enough. You know, maybe like if some people are okay with it, but the people that aren't okay with it, you know, not being okay with it is a stronger feeling that we should probably value more than being okay with something. Um, you know, I, I'm sure there are people out there who feel violently that Dirty Kansas should be the name that stands, but it's like... If you if there is a minority of people, but they feel very strongly that the name is an affront to them, I think that's a you know that now in my mind and my weight carries a lot more weight than um, the the few of us who are like eh, okay. But it's it's a huge decision, and and I want listeners to not underestimate everything that goes into a name change and a rebrand around something like a race. You know, <laughs> Dirty Kansas is the race's brand. It is on advertising and marketing. It's everywhere at the race. People have it tattooed on their bodies. It is something that has gone along with the race as it has grown from an oddity in the middle of Kansas in 2006 with 34 people into the race that sells out in the blink of an eye. And whether you like it or not, the label and the name has contributed to the race's success. It's a very catchy name. It's very easy to remember. It rolls off the tongue, Dirty Kanza. And so 
the task that the race now finds itself in is um, how do you take a successful brand and something that has you know existed for 15 years or so and become synonymous with pain and stress, you know, personal accomplishment and all these things and come up with a new name that doesn't torpedo it and doesn't do away with that. And also, um, you know, like, I don't know, there's a lot that's going to have to go into it. I mean, when you look at this happen in mainstream sports, um, there's a reason why it takes years and years and years. And like, I was reading something that the estimated, the estimated cost for rebranding a professional sports team was like 15 to $20 million. And I mean, look, that's stadiums and big signs and merchandise and everything like that. But, you know, we've all been out to Dirty Kanza. It's not small potatoes. It's a big event. Um, it has global reach, global media reach. Thousands of people have done it. Like, you know, people have tattoos of it on their body. It means a lot to the people in Emporia. So now this event finds itself in the very challenging position of like having to change a name. Um, Betsy, you know, you did some great reporting and spoke to Bobby Wintel about the Land Run uh, 100 becoming the Mid-South. Um, I mean, take us through that journey. What all went into him coming up with this new name and what had to happen for this name to change? I mean, it wasn't just like he like flipped a coin and all of a sudden the race became the Mid-South. I mean, it sounds like it was a, a process with a lot of people who were upset with it. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I reached out to Bobby um, Wintel after Ben and I did the Mid-South um, this year to ask him how he thought it went. You know, at that time, the controversy was 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 going through with the event during, well, coronavirus, or, coronavirus, or when we started to um, know about it. And But what struck me was that, you know, yes, he answered my questions about that. But one thing he, he came back to more than once the day after the Mid-South was, you know, I think changing the name was harder than this. Changing the name, yeah, right? And I'm going, oh my God, you might have just put on the only gravel race of 2020. And why are you talking about the name change? Like what? <laughs> so when the Dirty Kanza name stuff has has sort of re-arisen um, in the last few weeks, I thought back to that. And I thought, you know what? We I need to ask Bobby, like what? <laughs> How do you change a name? And like, why was that such a big deal? Because I remember he told me that he felt like when he announced the name change, he was walking through the streets of Stillwater and people were giving him the stink eye and nobody would talk to him. And so I was like, I got to find out what what the deal was. And I mean, the short answer is it, it it takes a long time and a lot of money to change a name. But in terms of Bobby's own process, it took years of of mental gymnastics for him to understand simply why he needed to. and even when it was brought to his attention that the name could be problematic by some friends of his, um, he resisted. He resisted a lot. And he he resisted to the point where he asked if he could keep the name, um, but yet sort of say, hey, I recognize the horrible history that goes on with that, that is attached to this name, but can I keep it still? And it took yeah. him asking an indigenous person that and the person saying, if you keep this name, I will never come to your event. Yeah, for Bobby. Yeah, doing doing the race two or maybe three years ago, and as part of the race packet, there was like a a children's story of sorts, hand illustrated about what the land run actually was, which seemed to be uh, maybe like a halfway step of like, okay, oh. maybe maybe land run isn't just a cool name mm -hmm. for a gravel race. Um, 
but the race at that time was absolutely still called the Land Run 100. I, mean, I think there's a couple, well, lots of interesting points, but a couple of interesting points there. Um, one is that I think for most listeners, whether they're gravel racers or just following it, you know, the the inner workings of what goes into a name change is neither here nor there. Like, if it's the right thing to do, do it. Like, we don't care if it's going to cost the Washington Redskins millions of dollars to change their name. Like, change the name. Um, uh, but I think that the the other point that Betsy brings up is who all is invested in these things, uh, these things being gravel races, and that there's the people who show up and pay money to do them, but then there's also the community that supports it and very much creates it, um, then they are also emotionally invested in these things. Um, and it seems that, that Bobby may have underappreciated or maybe, maybe didn't, but, um, how much the, the town of Stillwater was emotionally, if not financially invested in that name and saw it as like their thing, just like the Sooners football team is like their thing. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out in Emporia um, because the uh, the town welcoming racers and the race uh, was always such a big part of that event and what makes a lot of gravel events cool, right? You know, it's going to these uh, relatively small towns um, and having people who aren't getting paid by the race come out and support support the race uh, in general. Or like you know, in Kansas, you've been handled water bottles by people in the middle of nowhere. It's fantastic. And they're stoked and you're stoked. And that's that community vibe is a, is a big part of the success. So if part of the community feels shunned by a name change, uh, will that change the dynamic of the event? Yeah. And I mean, we're also talking about, um, I think what you're getting at Ben too is, the difference in politics of small town America versus, um, you know, people like us who live in larger cities or people who live on the coast. And, you know, it, potentially it's the people who might support a name change being the customer base. But small town America that might see a name change as reflecting a politic they don't agree with um, being against it. And, you know, mm -hmm. that's easy. F I guess it's a little easier for us to say, yeah, we support it. You should go change that name. Do it now. Um, because we live in a community like Boulder, Colorado versus, you know, Bobby or the DK crew who live in Emporia and are seeing these people every single day and are trying to hammer out agreements with them and business deals and licensing agreements, et cetera. And, uh, you know, potentially having to face their wrath. And it's not to say that, oh, well, they shouldn't do it. It's more just to say um, by by agreeing to do a name change, they have put themselves in a very challenging situation and created more challenges that they must overcome. And, you know, I, I think it's, I do think it's worth applauding them over it. Look, you can be critical of Bobby for saying, hey, you know, he had people for years telling him, oh, actually the land run has this sordid history and, you know, really represents a dark period in American history and a very dark period in the history of Native Americans. Um, and, and look, that's fine. And I, I wouldn't disagree with you, but I guess I would just say, yeah. Um, and, and people were telling him about that, but you know, it took a while for his eyes to be opened. And then once they were, he had to work real hard and overcome some serious challenges to make it happen. Um, and like you said, Betsy, I mean, you know, his race was the center of global controversy amid the coronavirus pandemic. And he said that actually that was much easier to deal with than changing, changing the name and dealing with his neighbors. Mm. Yeah. And, and he also mentioned to me that he had the sort of, I guess, 
um, benefit of, of doing, of going through this name change process, like largely out of the public eye. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. almost a hundred percent, um, you know, we had already registration had come and gone, um, for the mid South, um, before he announced his name change. Now you have the dirty Kansas folks and they are 100% in the limelight while going through this. And people are demanding that they change the name yesterday. And, and they're saying, you know, please just give us, give us a little time. We'll be as transparent as we can. Um, and, you know, again, like Bobby, uh, there, there's no beating around the bush here. I think the Dirty Kansas organizers have been like Bobby hearing just whispers of, you know, you might want to change the name. In fact, Bobby and the Dirty Kansas organizers have talked about this. I mean, this is a small community. There's a lot of sharing of ideas and experiences. Um, but again, it's not like businesses, the NFL, I mean, the Redskins you're using in this example, like they're not sharing with the public every step of the way of these major, huge conversations. Um, and I think that's been hard too, given the charged environment that we're in, um, the demands on the Dirty Kanza for full transparency, for doing this, you know, really, really quickly um, seem unreasonable to me. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're not doing it and they're not involving all the right people and that they're not considering all of these things. It's just, um, like you said, Fred, this stuff is incredibly, um, time consuming, expensive, um, all the stakeholders, you know, there's just like so much to consider, um, which is why it can't happen overnight. So the inciting incident that really brought the name change conversation back to light happened in June when Jim Cummins, uh, Dirty Kansas um, co-founder and frankly, like the figurehead of the event. Like when you think about the man behind Dirty Kansas, it's Jim Cummins. He famously started it in 2006, um, 34 people riding out into the middle of nowhere, Kansas, finishing in a hotel parking lot, eating pizza. Um, and the whole event was off and running and he, you know, helped, helped under his supervision, get it to the top. Um, he posted on his Facebook page, um, some thoughts about the shooting of Rayshard Brooks, who was an African-American who was shot to death by cops in Atlanta. Um, and basically it was an insensitive comment and it basically said, you know, if you watch the video, like how could you not support the police in this? Um, I just look, I totally disagree with Jim Cummins's take on the Rayshard Brooks killing. Um, Rayshard Brooks was sleeping in his car. I don't think that that should necessitate anyone being shot to death, no matter what. Um, I think that Lifetime was perfectly fine to part ways with him. Um, he obviously didn't realize that that he is a public person. And if you post on your social media and you are a semi-public person, like that is a window into uh, your opinions and your thoughts. I can't speak to what is in Jim Cummins's heart and soul about um, national politics or um, racial disparity or anything like that. But I, I support Lifetime moving on from him. And to counter that, I'll say that, you know, as, as a journalist who's interacted with Jim Cummins many times, um, I had nothing bad at all to say about my interactions with him as a journalist. I felt like he was very professional. I felt like he had a tremendous vision for the event. Um, I had long interviews with him about how he had built this race. And 
you know, as, as an event promoter, I commend him for what he was able to build. I think that he's now going to go down in history as a very complicated person in the American cycling scene. Um, but like, you know, if you look at people throughout American history, we have a lot of complicated people out there too. People who have accomplished great things like building a race, but, uh, when they get a chance to share what's in their heart, say things that, um, I, I, a lot of us might find as gross or, um, totally detestable. And I, I guess that's, that's a challenging point because that's where we find ourselves with Jim Cummins. Um, Betsy, you know, you spoke to a number of people in uh, the gravel community, you know, people who have won Dirty Kanza, who have had a lot of experience with Jim Cummins, who have uh, participated in his race and no doubt had personal relationships with him. I mean, how are people not just viewing the name change, but the lifetime's decision to move on from Jim Cummins and, and fire him? Um, well, first, I guess I should say, um, just in speaking with, um, the other organizers of the race, Leland Danes and Christy Moan, um, he, Jim wasn't fired. Just want to clear that up. It was a mutual decision for them to part ways, um, between lifetime and, and Jim. Um, and it was done extremely, um, quickly after the Facebook posting happened. Um, but anyway, you know, Fred, like you said, you, had nothing but pleasant interactions with Jim and um, found him, you know, great as, as who he is um, as the founder of the DK and um, figure in the gravel scene yet. And you found his choice to make that Facebook post and express his opinion that way, totally deplorable. And that's the same opinion that I got from these um, riders that I spoke to, um, you know, Yuri Hoswald, I don't know how many DKs he's done, but he's won one and, you know, he's a marketing manager at Goo. So he's very, very connected to this scene and this race and these people. And, you know, he said, you don't know how many times I've cried on Jim's shoulder and hugged him at the end of a race. And um, he's, you know, a, a really important person to me. Do I think what he did was horrible and wrong? Yeah. Do I think he and Lifetime made the right decision to part ways? Yeah. You know, does it all still break my heart? Yeah. Um, and that, that was a common sentiment is that, you know, this race and the people behind it and the community mean a lot to gravel riders. And um, while that doesn't go away for them, they also see the need for and support a new a new direction and a new trajectory for the race um, because of what's coming to light sort of as our in our culture as a whole. Again, you heard me mention it at the top of the show. Today's episode is sponsored by Whoop, the fitness wearable that provides personalized insights on the performance of your sleep, how recovered your body is, and how much stress and exertion you put on your body throughout the day. Each day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, and heart rate variability that can be used as an indicator for how to approach your day. Is today going to be a big training day? or a legs up on the couch day. Whoop will tell you the app has built-in features like Strain Coach, which gives you target exertion goals to work out optimally at your body's recovery level. Listeners get a great deal on Whoop. You can get 15% off by going to whoop.com. That's W-H-O-O-P.com. Enter the code VELONEWS, all caps, VELONEWS, at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter, optimize your performance with WHOOP today. Okay, let's get back to Rasan and Alan.
and I, I kept thinking about like, well, what would happen if, you know, Jim Cummins posts this out there or says it publicly or whatever, and they don't move on from him. And, you know, the last month or so, especially on this podcast, I've been having conversations with um, African-American black riders, you know, people who are in the cycling community um, who are black and who are following national politics and who have said things like, well, you know, I gravitated towards the Major Taylor Cycling Club because it felt like a safe space for African-American riders. You know, I I was in the racing scene and everyone was white and no, they weren't like racist, but it just, it didn't feel welcoming. I didn't feel welcome. I didn't see people like me there. I didn't, I wasn't able to connect with people like, and then to think about, well, here you have this race and, you know, the Dirty Kansas is like a lot of cycling entities out there where it's really trying to bring in a diverse group of people, more women, more people of color. Like, it, you know, the cycling community cannot just stand on like 55 year old white dudes forever. Like we all want to bring new people into the tent. And all of a sudden you have the figurehead of your event who has made a very public comment saying that, um, that, that that's going to make a huge portion of the people you're trying to reach very uncomfortable about coming to your event and forcing them to make the change or forcing them to make the decision of like, do I want to go there? Like this guy, yeah, he's this figurehead and gravel. He's done so great stuff, but he, Oh God, he posted on his Facebook page or he said these, these things that, that don't make me feel welcome. Um, and when I looked at it, that was like, of course you have to move on from Jim Cummins. Like the stated goal of the, you know, it's, it's a bad thing to say, but it's like the state of the goal, the stated goal of the race and about cycling is to make it this inclusive place. And how can you have someone at the top of the food chain um, who's saying things that are making people very uncomfortable. So, you know, it seems, it sounds like it was a very, you know, quick and easy decision, mutual parted ways, but you know, Again, I, I'm I don't have as many interactions with Jim as Yuri has, but I feel the same way about it. Which is just I had really positive interactions with Jim over the years, but, um, you know, he had to go. I'll be curious to see what the change, if anything, is in terms of people showing up on the start line. Like there's certainly a, a vocal contingent you know, promising never to do this event ever, um, and then looking at the the mid south as the only other gravel race that I'm aware of that has changed its names for similar reasons. Um, and maybe just cause I have far less emotional investment in the Oklahoma race, although I loved it and I didn't have any, I felt as a participant, there was no change in my experience in doing the land run versus doing the mid South. Did you feel that there was a substantial change Betsy in the, doing an event one year with one name and doing the the same event in the same place put on by the same people, but with a different name in a latter edition. Well, I mean, again, maybe, I'm just being maybe, an ignorant person. So I well, no, my, my I test mean, case of one probably isn't, is the most representative. Most representational. Like, I think I might've, but the weather was horrific. Like it was freezing and pissing rain and coronavirus. So any hints at like greater change, I think we're very, very buried under those two things. Um, but I will say another thing that really stood out to me, and Ben, you remember this because we were huddled trying to be six feet apart, but not really under awnings while it was, you know, raining and the, the start was delayed and Bobby gets up there to, to, to like send us off and he's going on and on about change. And he's yes. like talking about how this is different. And if we want change, we have to make the change. And, 
And I remember thinking it like- It out of place at the time, right? It was just like, Bobby, well, shut up, man. We're the start the race. It's, we're freezing here. It but, seemed out of place it, to a lot and you to a lot of people, but I, in my head, I'm going, you know what, this is all about the name and he yes. wanted to be yes. something and he wanted this to show that this was going to be different and all the new ideas and all the things that he had rolled out in 2020, like that's what this was about. And it was mm-hmm. about bringing more women mm-hmm. um, to the start line and, and more diverse communities and people of color, but it was totally overshadowed by coronavirus and the weather, but he like forged on with it anyway. Um, yeah, it's, but- it's ironic that, that the person or a person who had been um, not immediately uh, embracing of mm-hmm. the warning, the warnings from others found himself in that role, trying to like having made this change first, like, you know, mentally uh, spiritually, whatever you want to say, decided like I need to do the right thing, made that change, and then tried to explain that. Then he's talking to people like me who are just like, yeah, yeah, whatever, start your race. Um, so I think it's just, that's sort of a good analogy as to how these things take time, and, and just because the information is being delivered doesn't necessarily mean it's being received by a, a, an open audience every time. No, and of it takes, course, takes a while. There will be people who, whatever the dirty cans, whatever the lifetime, and the people who are involved in the name change, uh, whatever they come up with, there will be people who push back on it and say, "Oh, it's just dumb." You know, I don't like it. Um, it's inevitable. There's going to be criticism around it. But I just keep coming back to the thinking of like, what a huge, very difficult task to come up with a new name for the race. I mean, I can barely come up with a headline for a magazine story that tries to accomplish all the things out there of sell the story, get across what it's about. You know don't offend anyone like you know there's there's a there's a lot of checklists that go into like the headline on a web story versus you know two words that have to embody your race carry on the tradition the the last 16 years get across that it's hard get across that you want people to be there um and i look i don't think like the dirty cans or whatever it becomes is going to just all of a sudden you know participation is going to start tanking because they changed the race name but I do think that whatever they change it is going to, I mean, it's going to represent a totally different course for the event itself. I mean, you know, being on the finish line there in Emporia and seeing people finish, the one thing that always comes back to me about Dirty Kansas is the fact that people have an emotional connection to that event. Like doing that distance and racing it, like you're going to have an emotional connection to it because of that long of a day. So in choosing a name, they do have to, I feel like pick something that, um, you know, it can't be like workshopped to death and be just like corporate, like, you know, happy gravel. It has to, I, it, it has to be something that strikes a chord that represents the emotion. I feel like that people are going to have with the event. So what should it be? I don't know. I could barely pick a headline. <laughs> I mean, Ben, you yeah, threw out there about- gravel United. I like that. Yeah, that that might be too corny and cheesy, but <laughs> the boardroom loves yeah, I, it. The, yeah, and you look back, you know, Vela News was the Northeast Bicycle News for a while, Northeast Racing News. Yeah, our name changed. Very logical. Uh, yeah, um, I think I would hope that the that the proof is in the pudding that the experience offered is is what keeps people coming back for more. Um, and that's, that's really my hope is I, I would, I intend to go back again. Um, and I think the experience will dictate whether, you know, like we as media cover it or we as participants go into it thereafter. Um, 
That's just my take. Well, Ben, you have an educated take. You were involved in a hasty, not well thought out name <laughs> brand change. When oh sure, when it was like yeah. uh, ownership old, you know, nine owners ago, they said, "Hey, Velo News." No, no. Here's the story. You're so Velo yeah, we were now. News. <laughs> I'm, I made made the mistake of opening my big dumb mouth the way I often do, and had a bad joke that if if we if we were, you know, this was ten years ago. If you were to start a magazine at this point in time or a media outlet at this point in time about bike racing, you would call it in North America. You would call it neither Velo nor News because Velo, we're ignorant Americans. We don't know what that means. And a magazine that shows up every few weeks in your mailbox is not news. Uh, yeah, this was taken too much to heart. And all of a sudden, our name was changed from Velo News to Velo. And that lasted. How long did that last, Fred? Uh, I think it was like two and a half, three years. But literally, wasn't it just like you came down on high? It was like, oh, hey, by the way, it's Velo now. It's not Velo News. Uh, the 40 years that you built up brand equity and everyone knew you as Velo News and, you know, name of the magazine and branding and tote bags and this wrapped car in the parking lot and <laughs> generations of people that grew up reading Velo News. By the way, that's not the name of the thing anymore. Bam, Velo. Okay, go on. And, you know, like it, it pissed off a lot of people. Yeah, it, but, but, but we soldiered on and then obviously <laughs> eventually changed the name back. So uh, that, that was without any uh, racial overtones. That was just a, a branding thing. But – I, I think that just speaks to the, the <laughs> conversation of, you know, the, the position they find themselves in, which is, you know, the difficult task of coming up with a new brand name. So, I mean, whatever they come up with, I think the, whatever they come up with, the knowledge will be there that like a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking about it. Yeah. And I, I think, too, that, you know, one thing Bobby said is he really thought he was just changing the name. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he was totally fooling himself, um, <laughs> and admittedly so, and and everyone else. And, and the Dirty Kanza, given the situation they're in and everything that's happened uh, with the race and, and at the world at large, they are saying, we're not only changing our name, but we are going to make some other changes too. And that's the bold stance they're taking, and that's the path they're headed on. And like you said, Fred, I don't know, maybe that's people are going to be mad about that or maybe for other people, that's not enough. But, um, you know, I just think it's 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 cool to see them say, like, essentially, like mistakes are made, things happen and this is how we're going forward. And, and we're confident because this this race and this community and these life changing experiences mean too much for us to just sort of like shrug off people who, you know, may not be happy with our choices. We want to keep providing those opportunities. Um, and I personally, I just can't help but think about the the efforts that they've made over the past four years or so to get more women to the start line and sort of the leadership they've shown in that. Um, and so let's see, you know, let's see how the Dirty Kikanza changes um, for the better, hopefully. Well, I, uh, it's going to be a storyline that we continue to follow here in Villa News. I think all three of us are in agreement that um, the uh, Lifetime's decision to change the name going forward is a good one. And now we wait with, with bated breath to see uh, what name they come up with. Well, for Ben Delaney and Betsy Welch, this is Fred Dreyer. Thanks so much for tuning in again to the Villa News podcast. We will be back next week.